537 the time on Talk Radio 790-KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre this Thursday morning. They're playing our favorite song. Yes. Uh, was that Disco Duck? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that was Rick D's creation. Mm. How you doing, Rob Marinko? I'm all right. How are you, Royal? Well, I'm hanging in, and uh, my goodness, no shortage of uh, big news stories, huh? No kidding. Gosh, uh, some of the most dramatic uh, footage uh, yet to have emerged in this this ongoing clash uh, between uh, the police and uh, folks they are trying to apprehend. Uh, we, we've got a, a Minnesota story. We've got a Baton Rouge, Louisiana story we are following. Uh, and it is just going to fuel the debate uh, from Ferguson to Cleveland uh, to that New York case. Uh, it's, it's just amazing. We are in this era where people are just real-time streaming their life. You know, you've got this, this Facebook deal uh, where you just, you know, turn that camera on and, and you are broadcasting. Yeah, it's weird. In the Minnesota one, a very graphic video. I'm sure you can probably find it anywhere uh, on the Internet. But it, it, the girlfriend of the man who eventually died is videotaping. And it appears in the videotape that he might still be alive. Now, I understand how important it is for people to get hits, I guess, on the, you know, on, on live streaming or whatever. But you would think that maybe she'd want to give some aid to him or something, but she just continues filming and talking. Well, it's just so dramatic. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we we do have some of the footage, and uh, uh, we just want to alert you. Uh, uh, this is very dramatic, uh, very graphic stuff. This is the uh, Minnesota police shooting uh, caught on Facebook. Hey, with me. We got pulled over for a busted tail light in the back. And the police just, he's, he's, he's covered. He they killed my boyfriend. He's licensed, he's carried to, he's licensed to carry. He was trying to get out his ID and his wallet out his um, pocket. And he let the officer know that he was, re, he had a firearm and he was reaching for his wallet. And the officer just shot him in his arm. We're waiting for a back. I will, sir. No worries. I will. I told him not to reach for it. I told him to get his hand out. He had you told him to get his ID, sir, and his driver's license. Oh my God! Please don't tell me he's dead. Please don't tell me my boyfriend just went like that. Keep your hands where they are, please. Yes, I will, sir. I'll keep my hands where they are. Please don't tell me this, Lord. Please, Jesus, don't tell me that he's gone. I mean, we are just entering a whole new era in terms of a mixture of reality and news. Uh, just to give folks the background, this Minnesota officer allegedly fatally shot a man in a car with a woman and a child. And authorities are looking into whether this aftermath really was live streamed, as we, as we just heard. They're checking on authenticity. Uh, the video shows a woman in a vehicle with a man whose shirt appears to be soaked in blood telling the camera, she's saying, police just shot my boyfriend for no apparent reason. What happened was uh, Wednesday night about 9 o'clock, uh, officers pulled over a vehicle uh, in the suburb there of, uh, of uh, St. Paul. Uh, and we don't have details about the reason for the traffic stop. Possibly it's a busted taillight. Uh, and what happened is that the shots were fired at some point. The man was struck. Nobody else was injured. Uh, he was taken to a hospital. Uh, Philando Castile is his name, 32-year-old cafeteria supervisor at a Montessori school. Uh, he, according to his cousin, Antonio Johnson, his take is he was a black individual driving in Falcon Heights who was immediately criminally profiled. That's what he told the, the uh, Star Tribune. 
The shooting, of course, comes as police use of force is back in the national spotlight after the video recorded the fatal shooting earlier this week, a 37-year-old Alton Sterling by Baton Rouge police. Uh, so the U.S. Justice Department has launched a civil rights investigation. I guess they have time on their hands now that they're finished up with the Hillary Clinton deal. Uh, and uh, the, the shooting there in Baton Rouge, uh, it took place after Sterling, uh, who was black, scuffled with two white police officers on the pavement outside a convenience store. But in terms of this uh, audio that we just played and, of course, video that's uh, been streaming online, uh, just incredibly dramatic, obviously requires a, a lot of investigation. Um, the officer has been uh, placed on, on paid administrative leave. So those uh, stories, both Baton Rouge and Minnesota, are, are certainly resonating with people. And at 7 o'clock Pacific time this morning, uh, 10 a.m. back in Washington, we're going to hear from James Comey. Uh, it, it, to me, Rob Marinko, this is just lightning fast stuff. I mean, Saturday morning, Hillary is interviewed for three and a half hours by the FBI. Saturday morning, okay. Sunday, you know, day of rest, probably a whole, not a whole lot of work being done. Then Monday was the 4th of July. Tuesday, the FBI director comes out and says, uh, nothing to see here. No you know, fireworks. No fireworks, right. We had the fireworks yesterday, folks. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm kind of curious why it is, after the millions of, of, of dollars and thousands of person hours into the investigation, and you finally get to, to the giant climax, we're going to be interviewing Hillary Clinton, how is it that, boom, they were able to turn it around basically within a few hours of working time and, and conclude... You know, we're, we're not going to pursue this. Wouldn't you think this would be the kind of thing they'd want to go back to the books and say, all right. I mean, if if what Comey is saying is, oh, my gosh, yes, she did this. She did that. She's she's guilty, guilty, guilty. But there are no real precedents to support the idea you know, of, of prosecuting in this situation. I don't I don't understand how you could do it so fast. But if you think that was fast, yeah. Loretta Lynch, boom. The very next day, she concluded, well, the Department of Justice is not going to be uh, uh, pursuing this matter. How is it it doesn't take days or weeks uh, of really serious thought and work to conclude that, uh, that you know, we're not going to pursue this investigation? And people wonder in government why the citizenry is so cynical about what happened. And, and you put your finger right, right on the problem, uh, Royal. There's no reason for people just to accept this at face value, and the reason is the timing. How can you do a three-and-a-half hour interview, or if you want to call an interrogation, whatever you want to call it, uh, of somebody, the subject of an investigation, then you come out uh, within 48 hours and say, nothing uh, to see here. Yeah, she did some bad things, but the conclusion was made, and that's the key word. How can you conclude an investigation so quickly? It's almost as if that conclusion was a foregone conclusion. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think a lot of people are very cynical. So, uh, lots going on. We've got the the shootings in Minnesota and Baton Rouge. We've got the uh, the Jim Comey thing coming up, and we've got the presidential derby. Uh, you know, is Trump going to be picking Newt Gingrich? Uh, why are the Democrats booing Bernie Sanders? We'll we'll get into all of that. Uh, but after we pause, we're actually going to be uh, talking to our friend Jim Roop because uh, some pretty wild stuff going down down in San Diego. Uh, some people are dying down in. San Diego, and there's some big question marks about just why. 544 The Time, Talk Radio 790K, ABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. Let's say hello to Bill Thomas. 547 The Time, Talk Radio 790K, ABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. Now get more news on your commute home. 
Here the NBC4 6 o'clock news with Chuck Henry and Carolyn Johnson live on 790 KABC Radio, followed by Peter Tilden's Top 6 at 6-ish, six, at 6-ish, six at 6-30. That's the NBC4 News at 6 Live and Top 6 at 6-ish, right after Jillian and John on your drive home on 790 KABC. So let's bring Jim Roop into the mix here because we've got some uh, pretty amazing stuff going on uh, down south. Uh, good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm very well, Royal. Good morning. Gosh, uh, we've got two stories that we wanted to check in with you about. Uh, The uh, San Diego County Medical Examiner uh, has issued a report saying a Navy SEAL died at the hands of a human being. It was a homicide. We also want to talk to you about the situation going on with the homeless folks uh, being set on fire down in San Diego. So uh, serious stuff. Let's start with the SEAL deal. Uh, What can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's a it, it's it's a heartbreaking story about a Navy Navy SEAL. Um, his name is James Derek Loveless. His family calls him Derek. Twenty one years old, first week of basic training, and they were in an exercise pool doing an exercise that they nickname drown proofing, where recruits jump in in their fatigues and boots, and they have a a dive mask on, and they tread water for long periods of time while instructors make waves and splash. Now, instructors are not supposed to be dunking or pulling underwater the recruits, but this particular instructor did uh, and kept doing it even as Loveless was struggling. At one point, he passed out. They pulled him from the pool, rushed him to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Drowning is the official cause of death. He had an enlarged heart and asthma. Those were contributing factors, but it is ruled a homicide. Now, you as a lawyer know this, but it, I think it's, it's, it's important to note that just because something's ruled a homicide and it means uh, someone's death at the hands of another doesn't necessarily mean there are criminal charges that will be filed. However, the particular instructor involved here has been placed on administrative leave and, while the investigation by NCIS continues. It's not that he won't be charged, but right now there have been no charges and there could be no charges, and it still be ruled a homicide. Yeah, and that's a good point you make. And, and looking over the Navy statement, they specifically say it's important to understand homicide refers to death at the hands of another, and a homicide is not inherently a crime. And, and of course, when you think about it, you know, if you have an absolutely uh, lock-solid basis for shooting somebody, uh, if you, it's self-defense, if you're an officer, and it's a totally justified shooting, it's a homicide. Uh, a human being killed another, but it's also perfectly legal. But is there some speculation uh, here in terms of whether there was uh, any improper motivation or, or any kind of uh, uh, a reason for animus by the trainer against this recruit? Has anything surfaced along those lines? It's been talked about, and that's part of the investigation. And it's not just maybe this particular instructor didn't like this this recruit or whatever it may be, but just the fact that he was doing things in that pool, dunking and pulling under, that he wasn't supposed to be doing, this instructor we're talking about, could lead to charges down the line here. So this is something that is going to take a little while to investigate. His family has, while they didn't talk directly to the press, did release sort of a Snapchat type of or a video saying they don't necessarily blame the Navy because this particular recruit, this Derek Loveless, was in all by all accounts of family a fish he was the best swimmer ever and he always pushed himself to the limit liked to be pushed to the limit and at this time it was just maybe over the limit and it could be his underlying health conditions contributed to that so at this point the family is not blaming the navy but of course they're very distraught 
over the loss of this young man. What a tragic situation. I mean, just looking over the reports here, as you say, the SEAL instructors are not supposed to dunk them or pull them underwater, but the instructor was seen, in this case, to dunk him underwater, following him around the pool for five minutes, continually splashing him, dunking him. Other people were splashing. Uh, and, of course, we all have seen videos and documentaries about the SEAL training. It's just amazing. Only 25% of the candidates make it through this grueling six-month uh, course, uh, workouts in the pounding surf, running with logs and rubber boats overhead, swims and no-sleep hell week, uh, meant to weed out all but the most determined sailors. But to lose somebody like this, uh, it's just awful. Uh, now, the other story uh, that, that you have been covering down there in San Diego, Jim Roop, uh, has to do uh, with attacks on, on homeless people, uh, transients, and apparently two have been killed in, in recent times. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Brutally so, too. It has the entire city on alert and shaken, not just the homeless community, and it is a top priority for law enforcement. Shelley Zimmerman, who's the police chief yesterday, and Kevin Falconer, who's the mayor, both said at a news conference yesterday that this is their number one focus, their top priority in the city, finding this guy. They know who he is, at least they believe they know who he is. He is not a person of interest at this point. He is a suspect. They have his, his picture, his image captured on convenience store surveillance. But what has been happening since Sunday, four homeless men now have been attacked, all in the early morning hours as they sleep, brutally beaten, as you say, two of them set on fire. Two are dead. One is not expected to survive. The other one's in critical condition. He was just beaten, not set on fire. But this is something that has law enforcement protecting the homeless, warning them not to sleep alone, don't go anywhere alone, always stay in groups, that kind of thing, the buddy system, if you will, and as they try to find this guy. Now, some of the homeless folks have said they've seen this man before. And they want to focus on his attire because he wears like an engineer's cap, a train engineer's cap, uh, sometimes a hoodie. He's a white man in his 30s, thin build. And they say he, he has, they believe he was part of the homeless community. Now it's speculated that he just has some sort of thing against the homeless and he poses as a homeless person and then finds these vulnerable victims and attacks them so viciously. Shelley Zimmerman, the police chief, said, too, yesterday in her 34 years of law enforcement, she's never seen such brutality. These are the most heinous, uh, some of the most heinous uh, uh, attacks she's seen in her 34 years. So they're looking for this guy. Uh, they, what, meanwhile, the city is just uh, on alert, really. Uh, that this is happening, and they're trying to keep the homeless folks as safe as possible. Wow, what an awful story. Well, the surveillance uh, video apparently from that convenience story does show a person of interest. Uh, hopefully that'll turn into a, a more solid lead, and they'll uh, solve the well, crimes quickly. They did say yesterday that he went from person of interest to suspect. Excellent. So they actually are, and, and they know by evidence that they're not releasing, that all these attacks are linked to one person, and they believe it's this particular guy. All right, Jim Roop, appreciate the help on uh, both of these stories. We'll check in with you later. All right, Royal, thank you. Thank you. 554 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. When we come back, a cab driver returns $187,000 cash to a very happy customer. So you get to guess how much of a reward did the cabbie get? Stay with us. Five fifty-seven. The time. Talk radio. Seven ninety K A B C. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Happy Thursday to you all. So, Rob Marenko, you're a you're a cab driver in Boston. You're just doing your job, and um, 
you're actually uh, helping out a homeless guy. Uh, you're driving a homeless man uh, to his uh, hotel. Uh, and this guy, the homeless man, has just inherited $187,000. And it's in a bag. He's carrying it around with him. But you know, Must be a big bag. Big bag? Well, maybe there were a lot of Benjamins in there. I don't know. And so, uh, of course, that'd still be a big bag, wouldn't it? Yeah. So he leaves it behind in the cab, okay? So uh, the no cab driver... No wonder he's homeless. He has no idea how to take care of money. <laughs> You're so critical. So Buzzy McCausland, the uh, cab driver, he looks at the bag and he counts it up and he, he says he had three thoughts. One, uh, this guy might be dangerous. He might be after me for the money. That's thought one. Thought two is I'll just take the money home, you know. This will be a good day, good payday. Good tip. He, but then uh, idea three appeals to him. Take the bag of cash to the police station. And Buzzy says, that's the way I am. I don't steal stuff. I'm not a crook. So he uh, he takes it to the police station, and uh, they investigate. And uh, the homeless guy pops up, and, and he gets his money. And now we, we come to the happy ending. Yeah. I'm the, sure he got a reward. Yes, he did get a reward. Now, $187,000. What? would be an appropriate reward. Uh, I, I mentioned a Benjamin, uh, a $100 bill with Benjamin Franklin. That's what the homeless guy gave the no. cab driver. Yes, $100. No. And, you know, and, uh, and the, the cab driver said, actually, by coincidence, 30 years ago, he had a similar situation. He found a briefcase with $10,000 inside it, uh, he dropped somebody off at the airport. Same kind of deal. They investigate. Uh, so they get the, the briefcase with the ten grand back to the guy. The guy stiffed him. He gave him absolutely no reward. Oh, man. His, Come on, people. I've got a tip for you. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. To give back to Benjamin. <laughs> 5.59 the time. Talk Radio 790 KBC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. When we come back, Mike Gingrich be your VP. 6.15 is the time on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. You can start your day off right. Mornings at 5 with McIntyre in the morning. Doug and T-Ray cover the day's top stories and stuff you'll want to know with context and a laugh. And for the really early risers, catch the NBC4 News at 4.30 right before Doug and T-Ray at 5, making it a little easier to get up and head to work. Mornings on 790 KABC. We want to shift gears right now and uh, join. Uh, we want to, Beverly Price to join us. She is president of the American Association for Nude Recreation. It's summertime, so, uh, you know, I, I think we ought to... Who needs clothes? Yeah, exactly. Who needs clothes? Uh, Beverly, welcome to KBC. How are you? Thank you. I'm fine. How are you? Well, we're doing great here. And, uh, you know, we just happened to, to notice this story out of Phoenix about Nude Recreation Week. Uh, a resort is going to host the Nude Games. It's a national week-long campaign sponsored by the American Association for Nude Recreation. And I see uh, there's a karaoke on Friday night, a dance on Saturday. Um, last year, the American Association spot challenged clothing-optional resorts to break the Skinny Dip World Record. Uh, 250 people took part at Shangri-La, narrowly missing their previous record. So with all of that as background, we thought it would be helpful to, for you to, to explain to us just what's going on in the, in the world of nudism. So uh, tell us about your organization. Well, actually, it's an international organization. We have uh, over 200 clubs in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and into the Caribbean. And any of them that wish to participate in the nude games on Saturday and Sunday uh, are welcome to do so. In fact, there is a list on our website 
um, anor.com of those clubs that are holding various kinds of games. Some of them are athletic games. Some of them, like the ones at Shangri-La, are just for fun. And that's one of the things we do best is just have fun. I guess I wonder if your group wants to take things uh, one step further, as some activists do up in San Francisco. Namely, else get rid of those annoying public nudity rules. Uh, you probably heard about what's going on there. Are you on board with that, or are you strictly focused on nudity in private? Well, our um, mission statement says that we uh, are going to practice uh, nudity in appropriate places. And some of these activist groups um, do not understand what's appropriate and what isn't. Um, public lands, where it, where it is sanctioned, we have no problem with at all. In fact, we have a lot of beaches, uh, hot springs, that kind of thing. But, Beverly, um, I'm sure you're used to being on radio shows, and you've you've been on morning zoo shows, and that's sort. We're not that. We're we're a, a notch above that here at KBC. We're really serious here. Yeah, we we don't go into that uh, that area. However, uh, listen, there's if you go to any beach nowadays, you see young women in very skimpy bathing suits, men wearing uh, speedos, and they're not sure. wearing much clothing anyway. So, what do you get by being nude. I mean, what what kind of? I, I guess, and I have. Listen, I How have about n- exhilarating freedom, Rob. Yeah, well, you can also have interesting injuries too <laughs> if you're playing volleyball, like we've all seen. And there's a real tall guy, and he, you know, I don't want to get into the details, but the whole thing, Beverly, is. Can you explain to me what's in it for a guy like me that enjoys wearing clothes? I would say if you enjoy wearing clothes, that's probably what you should do. Uh, there are quite a few people out there who don't enjoy wearing clothes and that's what we're here for for those that don't um it's sort of a different strokes for different folks oh jeez did you have to do that beverly i want to get back to my question um if you were queen and i know you wouldn't be wearing a crown because then that would you know disqualify you from being nude but if you were queen would you would you wave your wand and say you know public nudity is okay as some people in san francisco uh, I, you know, in certain parts of San Francisco, I think they actually have gone so far as to say it's okay. You, you may walk around in the buffo. Are you in favor of that? As long as they are not harming anyone else, I see nothing wrong with it. Okay. How, um, I, I'm curious in terms of your uh, nudist communities uh, and resorts, how do you avoid winding up with just a bunch of creepy guys who aren't really legitimate nudists? They just want to get a peek at naked women. Go ahead and well, use my name, Royal. Yeah, you know, no, no, no. I, uh, I, I was not thinking of Rob Marinko here, so to speak. But go, go ahead, Beverly. How do you avoid that? Okay. I, w- I would think that'd be a danger. We actually have two ways that we protect, and, and keep in mind that this is not a sexual environment for us. It's well, maybe not for friendly, you. But you, and you, it isn't, and that's the way that's the way we want to keep it. Uh, no, I understand, Beverly, but I, I, I think Royal asks a, a legitimate question because I, I happen to have some knowledge of nude clubs, and it used to be in the in the day back in the day that every everybody would be invited, and then it seems in the last decade or so that, that these uh, these places would get some visitors, unwanted visitors, and I think Royal described it uh, perfectly: some guys that just want to look at uh, naked women. So uh, are there background checks? Do you see it if somebody's got some sort of record where there's some sort of sexual perversion or, 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 or laws that were broken? Is it, do you check into them? Yes. 
Okay. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Rob, about your personal knowledge with the nude clubs. Now, you're a newsman. You probably covered uh, b- fast-breaking news stories at nudist colonies. Is that what happened? I've worked undercover. I've gone in there with a gu- guitar, you know, strategically placed, and a microphone. Now, Beverly, in the, uh, in the story we looked at about your uh, uh, activities, you say participants can play games, including cornhole and mulky, M-O-L-K-K-Y. Let's start with the first one. Could you explain how one plays the game cornhole? Uh, I am not a member of Shangri-La Ranch. Okay, so that's unique to that particular place. Okay. I have never played cornhole, and I've certainly never played the one, and I don't even know how to pronounce it, the one, the Finnish game that uh, Cindy suggested. I am a friend of Cindy Faber's. Uh, I I have talked to her on many occasions, but uh, I own and operate a different kind of club. I own and operate what is known as a non-landed or travel club. Oh, okay. And the objective, the objective for us is to find locations. Uh, we love to go uh, to Lake Powell and rent a houseboat for a week and find a cove where no one else is, and there's lots of them, and simply uh, swim, play, uh, hike in the nude. Um, but we don't have facilities. We don't have the pool, the volleyball court, that sort of thing. Well, I got to tell you, Beverly, it was a pleasure to uh, speak to you about this because I learned a whole lot. I, I had no idea. Of course, I'm going to learn more from, from Rob Marenko later on because I didn't know that he, he had some experience here. But uh, it's been a delight uh, speaking with you, and uh, best of luck to the American Association for Nude Recreation. Thank you. Uh, and again, AANR.com is the website. You have a nice that day. That is correct. And there's a lot of information on there, and I recommend that any of your listeners who want to find out more, log on immediately. It's a deal. Thanks for joining us, Beverly. 623 The Time, Talk Radio 790-K-A-B-C. When we come back, exploding hoverboards are threatening lives right now. Bill Thomas is going to help you save your life. Bill. It's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. 707 The Time, Talk Radio 790-K-ABC, the place Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. And the House Oversight Committee has just begun its hearing. Uh, Jason Chasefitz, uh, Senator, uh, who is uh, the chairman of the committee, is uh, introducing the testimony of James Comey. Uh, let's uh, listen to oh, Senator secure. Chaffetz. It puts their lives in jeopardy. This classified information is entrusted to very few, but there is such a duty and an obligation to protect that, to fall on your sword to protect that. And yet there's, there doesn't seem to be any consequence. You know, I was talking to Trey Gowdy, and he made a, a really good point with, with us yesterday. Mr. Gowdy said, uh, you know, in your statement, Mr. Director, you mentioned that there was no precedent for this. But we believe that you have set a precedent, and it's a dangerous one. The precedent is if you sloppily deal with classified information, if you're cavalier about it, and it wasn't just an innocent mistake. This went on for years, that there's going to be no consequence. We, um, we're a different nation in the United States of America. We are self-critical. Most nations would never do this. But we do it in the spirit of making ourselves better. There'll be all kinds of accusations about 
political this and political that. I, uh, I have defended your integrity every step of the way. You are the definitive voice. I stand by that. But I am mystified and I am confused because you listen to your fact pattern and come to the conclusion that there is no consequence. I don't know how to explain that. We'll have constituents ask us. They'll get mad. They'll pound You know, they're frustrated. They've seen this happen time and time again. I don't know how to explain it. And I hope that it, through this hearing, we can stick to the facts and understand this because there does seem to be two standards. There does seem to be no consequence. And I want to understand that. I want to be able to explain it to this, the person that's sitting at home. And that's why we're here. And so I yield back. Now recognize the ranking member, Mr. Cummings. Director Comey, thank you for that was Senator uh, Jason Chaffetz of Utah. Now uh, the Democrat will be I heard from. Again, by commending you and the public servants at the FBI for the independent investigation you conducted. You had a thankless task. No matter what recommendation you made, you were sure to be criticized. There is no question that you were extremely thorough. In fact, some may even say you went too far in your investigation. But of course, that was your job. That is your job. Secretary Clinton has acknowledged that she made a mistake in using a personal email account. And you explained on Tuesday that she and her colleagues at the State Department were extremely careless with their emails. But after conducting this exhaustive review, you determined that no reasonable prosecutor would bring a case based on this evidence. And you and the career staff recommended against prosecution. Based on the previous cases you examined, if prosecutors had gone forward, they, have, they would have been holding the secretary to a different standard from everyone else. Amazingly, amazingly, some Republicans who were praising you just days ago for your independence, for your integrity, and your honesty instantly turned against you because your recommendation conflicted with the predetermined outcome they wanted. In their eyes, you had one job, and one job only, to prosecute Hillary Clinton. But you refused to do so. So now you are being summoned here to answer for your alleged transgressions. And in a sense, Mr. Director, you're on trial. Contrary to the claims of your critics, there is absolutely no evidence that you made your recommendation for political reasons, no evidence that you were bribed or coerced or influenced, no evidence that you came to your conclusion based upon anything but the facts and the law. I firmly believe that your decision was not based on convenience but on conviction. 
Today, House Republicans are doing what they always do, using taxpayers' money to continue investigating claims that have already been debunked just to keep them in the headlines one more day. When they hear a political siren, they rush towards it over and over again, even if the evidence is not there. Exhibit A, Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who admitted on national television that Republicans established the Benghazi Select Committee to bring down Secretary Clinton's poll numbers. I didn't say that. McCarthy said it. The fact was confirmed by a Republican staffer on that committee who reported that he was fired in part for not going along with the hyper-focus on Secretary Clinton. I give House Republicans credit. They certainly are not shy about what they are doing. They've turned political investigations into an art form. If our concerns here today are with the proper treatment of classified information, then we should start with a review of our previous hearing on General David Petraeus, who pled guilty last year to intentionally and knowingly compromising highly classified information. The problem is, Mr. Director, we never had that hearing. This committee ignored that breach of national security because it did not match the political goals of the House Republicans. If our concerns today were with finally addressing a broken classification system in which security levels are arbitrarily changed up and down, that would have been a legitimate goal. That would have been a valuable addition to reforming and improving our government. After all, we are the Government Reform Committee. We could have held hearings here on Zika, the Zika virus, preventing gun massacres like the one in Orlando, or a host of other topics that could actually save people's lives. But that's not why we're here. That is not why our chairman called this emergency hearing 48 hours after you made your recommendation. Every no, everyone knows what this committee is doing. Honestly, I would not be surprised, and I say this with all seriousness, I would not be surprised if tomorrow Republicans set up a new committee to spend $7 million plus on why the FBI failed to prosecute Hillary Clinton. Director Comey, let me conclude with this request. Even with all that I have said, I believe that there is a critical role for you today. I've listened carefully to the coverage on this issue. And I've heard people say recently as this morning, three hours ago, that they were mystified by your decision. As a matter of fact, the chairman repeated it a minute ago. And so there is a perceived gap between the things you said on Tuesday and your recommendation. There's a gap, Mr. Director. So in this moment, and this is a critical moment, I beg you to fill the gap. Because when the gap is not filled by you, it will be filled by others. 
share with us, the American people, your process and your thinking. Explain how you examine the evidence, the law, and the precedent. Describe in clear terms how you and your team, career professionals, arrived at this decision. If you can do that today, if you can do that, that could go a long way towards people understanding your decision. Finally, I want to make it clear that I condemn these completely unwarranted political attacks against you. They have attacked you personally. They have attacked your integrity. They have impugned your professionalism. And they have even suggested that you were somehow bought and paid for because you made your recommendation based upon the law and the facts. I know you are used to working in a world of politics, but these attacks have been beyond the pale. So you do not deserve this. Your family does not deserve it, and the highly skilled and dedicated agents of the FBI do not deserve it. I honor your professionalism and your service to our country. And again, even if it takes to hell freezes over, I beg you to close the gap. Tell us what happened between what you found and your decision so that not only the members of this panel and this Congress will understand, but so that Americans will understand. And if you do that, if you do that, then it will be all worth it today. With that, I yield back. Mr. Chairman. I, I think, hold on one second. With, uh, with your indulgence, uh, to the ranking member of which I have the greatest respect, um, you asked for a hearing on General Petraeus and how that was dealt with. You got it. We will have one in this oversight committee, and the record will reflect that in the Judiciary Committee, I repeatedly questioned Attorney General Holder. I repeatedly uh, questioned the FBI director. You're listening on KBC to the uh, hearing on uh, James Comey's testimony. And right now, uh, Jason Chaffetz, uh, the chair of the committee, is responding. He's the Republican responding to the Democrat Elijah Cummings' uh, impassioned statement. Uh, and we're leading up to, of course, hearing from James Comey. The Oversight and Government Reform Committee, I believe, was the very first committee to actually do a hearing on Zika that was chaired by Mr. Micah. And I'm proud of the fact that we did a Zika hearing, and we did it first. Chairman Yill? Sure. Can we have another one? Because the problem is still there. Absolutely. Big time. Thank Absolutely. you. Mr. Chairman, I just uh, unanimous rec consent request that we put the date of the hearing and the record at this time that I chaired. Thank you, Absolutely. Th and, and the ranking member knows that we have held multiple hearings on the criminal justice and criminal justice reform. <clears throat> you asked for it. You're passionate about it. And we did do that as well. So to suggest we haven't addressed some of those issues, I think is inaccurate. And speaking right now again is Jason Chaffetz, who said it was a dangerous precedent that there was no consequence for Hillary Clinton's action. And we heard for a few minutes from Elijah Cummings, who's saying that the Republicans are just hearing a political siren here. And he invoked Kevin McCarthy, the Republican, who admitted the Benghazi committee was established just to bring Hillary Clinton's poll numbers down. So all this is an introduction of back and forth political fighting before we hear from James Comey, director of the FBI. We'll hold the record open for five legislative days for any members who would like to submit a written statement. We'll now recognize our distinguished witness for our first panel. Pleased to welcome the Honorable James Comey, the Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigations. We welcome Director Comey and thank you for being here. Pursuant to committee rules, all witnesses are to be sworn before they testify. If you'll please rise and raise your right hand.
So we are about to hear from James Comey, director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Just two days after uh, giving his extensive, really unprecedented public statement uh, attacking Hillary Clinton, and yet at the same time uh, concluding by saying just not enough there to support a prosecution. Take as long or as short as you'd like. If you have any written statement that you would like to submit afterwards, we're happy to do that as well. It will be made part of the record. The time is now yours. Director Comey, you're recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Cummings, members of the committee, uh, I am proud to be here today representing the people of the FBI who did this investigation as they do all their work in a competent, honest, and independent way. Uh, I believe this investigation was conducted consistent with the highest traditions of the FBI. Our folks did it in an apolitical and professional way including our recommendation as to the appropriate resolution of this case. As I said in my statement on Tuesday, I expected there would be significant public debate about this recommendation, and I'm a big fan of transparency, so I welcome the conversation we're going to have here today. And I do think a whole lot of folks have questions about, so why did we reach the conclusion we did, and what was our thinking? And I hope very much to get an opportunity to address that and to explain it. And I hope at the end of the day, people can disagree, can agree, but they will at least understand that the decision was made and the recommendation was made the way you would want it to be, by people who didn't give a hoot about politics, but who cared about what are the facts, what is the law, and how have similar people, all people, been treated in the past. Maybe I could just say a few words at the beginning that would help frame how we think about this. There are two things that matter in a criminal investigation of a subject. What did the person do and when they did that thing, what were they thinking? When you look at the 100 years plus of the Justice Department's investigation and prosecution of the mishandling of classified information, those two questions are, are obviously present. What did the person do? Did they mishandle classified information? And when they did it, did they know they were doing something that was unlawful? That has been the characteristic of every charged criminal case involving the mishandling of classified information. I'm happy to go through the cases in particular. In our system of law, there's a thing called mens rea. It's important to know what you did, but when you did it, this Latin phrase mens rea means, what were you thinking? And we don't want to put people in jail unless we prove that they knew they were doing something they shouldn't do. That is the characteristic of all the prosecutions involving mishandling of classified information. There is a statute that was passed in 1917 that on its face makes it a crime, a felony, for someone to engage in gross negligence. So that would appear to say, well, maybe in that circumstance, you don't need to prove they knew they were doing something that was unlawful. Maybe it's enough to prove that they were just really, really careless, beyond a reasonable doubt. At the time Congress passed that statute in 1917, there was a lot of concern in the House and the Senate about whether that was going to violate the American tradition of requiring that before you're going to lock somebody up, you prove they knew they were doing something wrong. And so there's a lot of concern about it. The statute was passed. As best I can tell, the Department of Justice has used it once in the 99 years since, reflecting that same concern. I know from 30 years with the Department of Justice, they have grave concerns about whether it's appropriate to prosecute somebody for gross negligence, which is why they've done it once that I know of in a case involving espionage. And so when I look at the facts we gathered here, as I said, I see evidence of great carelessness, but I do not see evidence that is sufficient to establish that Secretary Clinton or those with whom she was corresponding both 
talked about classified information on email and knew when they did it, they were doing something that was against the law. Right? So given that assessment of the facts, my understanding of the law, my conclusion was and remains, no reasonable prosecutor would bring this case. No reasonable prosecutor would bring the second case in 100 years focused on gross negligence. And so I know that's been a source of some confusion for folks. That's just the way it is. I know the Department of Justice. I know no reasonable prosecutor would bring this case. I know a lot of my former friends are out there saying they would. I wonder where they were the last 40 years, because I'd like to see the cases they brought on gross negligence. Nobody would, nobody did. So my judgment was the appropriate resolution of this case was not with a criminal prosecution. As I said, folks can disagree about that, but I hope they know that view, not just my view, but of my team, was honestly held, fairly investigated, and communicated with unusual transparency because we know folks care about it. So I look forward to this conversation. I look forward to answering as many questions as I possibly can. I'll stay as long as you need me to stay because I believe transparency matters tremendously. And I thank you for the opportunity. Uh, thank you, Director. I'm, I'm going to recognize myself here. Physically, so that was the brief statement by James Comey, and now uh, questions by Jason Chaffetz, the Republican the chair. The operational server was in the basement of her home in New York. The reason I'm answering it that way is sometimes after they were decommissioned, they were moved to other facilities, storage facilities, but the live device was always in the basement. Was that an authorized or unauthorized location? It was an unauthorized location for the transmitting of classified information. Um, is it reasonable or unreasonable to expect Hillary Clinton would receive and send classified information? As Secretary of State, reasonable that the Secretary of State would encounter classified information in the course of the Secretary's work. Via email? Sure, depending upon the nature of the system. It, to, c to communicate classified information, it would have to be a classified rated email system. But you did find more than 100 emails that were classified that had gone through that server, correct? Right, through an unclassified server, correct. Yes. So Hillary Clinton did come to possess documents and materials containing classified information via email on these unsecured servers, correct? That is correct. Did Hillary Clinton lie? To the FBI? We have no basis to conclude she lied to the FBI. Did she lie to the public? That's a question I'm not qualified to answer. I can speak about what she said to the FBI. Did, she, did Hillary Clinton lie under oath? To the, not to the FBI, not in a case we're working. Did you review the documents where Congressman Jim Jordan asked her specifically? And she said, quote, there was nothing marked classified on my emails, either sent or received, end quote. I don't remember reviewing that particular testimony. I'm aware of that being said, though. Did the FBI investigate her statements under oath on this topic? Not to my knowledge. I don't think there's been a referral from Congress. Do you need a referral from Congress to investigate her, her statements under oath? Sure do. You'll have one. <laughs> You'll have one in the next few hours. Um, did Hillary Clinton break the law? In connection with her use of the email server, my judgment is that she did not. Did you just not able to prosecute it, or did Hillary Clinton break the law? Well, I don't want to give an overly lawyerly answer. But the question I always look at is, is there evidence that would establish beyond a reasonable doubt that somebody engaged in conduct that violated a, a criminal statute? 
and my judgment here is there is not. The FBI does background checks. If Hillary Clinton applied for the job at the FBI, would the FBI give Hillary Clinton a security clearance? I don't want to answer a hypothetical. The FBI has a robust uh, process in which we adjudicate the suitability of people for employment in the Bureau. Given the fact pattern you laid out less than 48 hours ago, would a person who had dealt with classified information like that, would that person be granted a security clearance at the FBI? It would be a very important consideration in a suitability determination. You're kind of making my point, Director. The point being, because I injected the word Hillary Clinton, you gave me a different answer. But if I came up to you and said that this person was extremely careless with classified information, the exposure to hostile actors, and used, despite warnings, uh, created uh, unnecessary burdens and, and exposure, if they said that they had one device and you found out that they had multiple devices, if there had been email chains with a, somebody like Jake Sullivan asking for classification changes, you're telling me that the FBI would grant a security clearance to that person? I'm not, I hope I'm giving a consistent answer. I'm not saying what the answer would be. I'm saying that would be an important consideration in a suitability determination for anybody. And that it's just, personally, I just think that sounds like a bit of a, a political answer because I can't imagine that the FBI would grant a security clearance to somebody with that fact pattern. Do you agree or disagree with that? I just say what I said before. Again, it's very hard to answer in the hypothetical. I'll repeat it. It would be a very important consideration in a suitability determination. Did Hillary Clinton do anything wrong? And what do you mean by wrong? I think it's self-evident. Well, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I'm an investigator, and I'm, an, I hope, a normal human being. Do you really believe there should be no consequence for Hillary Clinton and how she dealt with this? Well, I didn't say, I hope folks remember what I said on Tuesday. I didn't say there's no consequence for someone who violates the rules regarding the handling of classified information. There are often very severe consequences in the FBI involving their employment, involving their pay, involving their clearances. That's what, I, that's what I said on Tuesday, and I hope folks walk away understanding that just because someone's not prosecuted for mishandling classified information, that doesn't mean if you work in the FBI, there aren't consequences for it. So if Hillary Clinton, or if anybody, had worked at the FBI under this fact pattern, <coughs> what would you do to that person? There would be a security review and an adjudication of their suitability, and a range of discipline could be imposed from termination to reprimand, and in between suspensions, loss of clearance. So you could be walked out, or you could, depending on the nature of the facts, you could be reprimanded. But there, there is a robust process to handle that. I've gone past my time. I yield back. Now rec recognize the ranking member, Mr. Cummings. You're listening to a KBC's live report of the uh, committee hearing in Washington, D.C., where James Comey, director of the FBI, is being grilled by Jason uh, Chaffetz. Uh, and the initial round of questioning has just concluded. And I got to I gotta say, Rob Marenko, I think Jason Chaffetz has just been shredding the FBI director. He got him to admit, yes, unauthorized transmission by Hillary Clinton uh, of a using a private server. Was it reasonable to expect she would have sent classified information through an unsecured 
secured server. Yes, that would be reasonable. Did she lie? Well, she didn't lie to the FBI. Did she lie under oath? Well, I didn't see that. And then uh, the real kicker by Jeff, Jason Chaffetz, he said, well, but she told Representative Jordan under oath that she never had any classified information. Did you investigate her statements under oath? And the admission by Comey was, no, we didn't consider that. Oh, we have to get a referral from Congress by, for that. And then Chaffetz said, well, you're going to get it, sir. So this is the very first step, I think, in a continuation uh, of, of this issue. It sounds like it's not going to be over after all. It's, it's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. It is six the time on a Thursday morning. Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug this week, along with Rob Marinko. You know, you can start your day off right. Mornings at 5 with McIntyre in the morning. Doug and T-Ray cover the day's top stories and stuff you'll want to know with context and a laugh. And for really early risers, catch the NBC4 News at 4.30, right before Doug and T-Ray at 5, making it a little easier to get up and head to work. Mornings on 790 KABC. So we're going to continue to monitor what's going on back in Washington. Uh, kind of exciting stuff, uh, Rob Marinko. I think the Republicans are coming on strong, and I'm sure uh, the Democrats will, will get in their licks in terms of defending uh, Comey. But, you know, there have been, been a few embarrassing pauses, I think, uh, so far this morning when the Republicans are saying, uh, yeah, really, uh, we, we don't have a double standard here. W- would you accept Hillary Clinton's application for a job at the FBI, given what you know about her? Well, that would be a hypothetical question. That would be difficult for me to answer. Yeah, there was one moment where I thought was particularly disingenuous when Chaffetz was talking to Comey about if someone like Hillary Clinton came forward to the FBI and was going to get a, a clearance or be hired by the FBI, right. would the things that Hillary did be of consequence? And basically, Comey said in a dodging the question, well, it would depend, and I can't, you know, it's a hypothetical, and I don't know. I, I can tell you from personal experience that somebody with that kind of record of mishandling classified information would never get a job with the FBI, nor would they ever be issued a security clearance, period. Yeah, yeah. no, I think there are some important points are being scored there. Uh, you know, uh, Randy was talking about this uh, Locked in the Museum story, and, uh, you know, <laughs> would see the movie, it reminded me, that's actually a thing. Uh, you know, there's a movie like uh, Snakes on a Plane. You, you, sure. You, you've, you've heard yeah. of that. People make videos, movies that go straight to video that are similar sounding to real movies. And there was a movie called Snakes on a Train. And it was a total, you know, piece of garbage movie. Right. But because it sounded like Snakes on a Plane, it made money. And apparently that's a thing. There are movie makers who can crank out low-budget films that sound a little like, you know, uh, Gone with the Wind, uh, whatever. Uh, so it, just in case you're thinking of a second career, Rob, you know, come up with a play on words. Huh. Uh, come up with some, some movie titles, and you're going to make money. Cause I could use, I, a matter of fact, I just thought of one, a guy that has uh, some digestive problems, uh, Gone with My Wind, perhaps would be. <laughs> One of those, now did, you know, you just went too far. That's a real... That's Probably a real, at the Ice House on Wednesday. That's a real possibility. <laughs> so the presidential election, uh, yeah. of course, is going on amid all of the uh, other controversy that we've been talking about. And uh, Donald Trump, uh, apparently he's looking at 10 people. Uh, and one of them, of course, is Newt Gingrich. Uh, let, let's hear what Donald says. He's not too uh, definitive, but this is what he says. Newt 
has been my friend for a long time. And I'm not saying anything, and I'm not telling even Newt anything, but I can tell you, in one form or another, Newt Gingrich is going to be involved with our government. That I can tell you. He's smart, he's tough, he gets it, and he says I'm the biggest thing he's ever seen in the history of politics. And, I... and somehow I think that's a, an important factor in, in Donald Trump's uh, evaluation. Yeah. Uh, he's been looking at a lot of folks. Senator Bob Corker of Tennessee apparently has taken himself out of the running for some reason. Let's I wonder listen. if you and I praised Donald Trump like for an hour straight. Would we be? I think you're, you're in list. for Secretary of State. Exactly. Look, I think yeah. when someone asks you to consider something, I, I think all of us should uh, look at it fully. I felt like there was a better way for me to serve and that there are other people who are better suited to, to try to be a vice presidential candidate. So that's Bob Corker bowing out. Also, Senator Joni Ernst uh, decided that she doesn't want to do it either. So uh, Chris Christie apparently is still in the running. Maybe Alabama Senator uh, Jeff Sessions, Indiana Governor Mike Pence, those are uh, folks are all on the short list. Now, Newt Gingrich, Rob, is playing uh, hard to get. He's saying, well, you know, if it's about funerals, I'm not interested. Uh, you know, that's my very simple test question. If the job is about funerals, uh, I'm going to take a pass. But, you know, I have a feeling Gingrich would see this as an opportunity to be the guy running the country because Donald Trump would be out of his league. He has not been in government in any capacity at any level. And all of a sudden, he's got to be running the federal government and Gingrich knows it inside and out. Donald Trump's brain. You know, the th- yeah. same thing was said of Cheney. So. Exactly that. The, you know, plus the whole the whole Car- Karl Rove thing. So, yeah, that's a, that's a possibility. And it'll be yeah, interesting. Yeah, Karl Rove. I'm sorry I made a little mistake there. Well, same, same deal. I mean, you know that Dick Cheney, uh, having been, you know, a general ahead of, of George W. Bush, uh, he was in a position to really throw his weight around. And, you know, some people think that he was really running the country more than George W. Bush was. It'll be interesting to see if, um, if in fact, the announcement of the vice president uh, comes along before the convention. In the old days, you know, they would always uh, announce it during the convention and be very dramatic. But Mitt Romney, uh, for example, picked Paul Ryan three weeks before the convention. Obama picked Joe Biden a couple of days before the convention. So uh, the you know that they're going to uh, think about how to make uh, the most dramatic impact. And, of course, this year, because they flip back and forth, uh, Hillary Clinton's going to have the opportunity at the Democrat convention to make her move after she already knows who the uh, vice presidential uh, nominee will be for uh, for the Republican side. One of the things that Donald Trump has suggested uh, was that Newt Gingrich uh, would be a pretty uh, heavyweight guy in the vice presidential debate. Let's uh, listen to Donald's comment on that. I'll tell you one thing, folks. I'm not saying it's Newt, but if it's Newt, nobody's going to be beating him in those debates, that's for sure. So Donald Trump is uh, is high on... Uh, on Newt Gingrich as, as a possible vice presidential candidate. And Trump is doing a whole lot better money-wise, Rob. You know, a few weeks ago we were hearing he's broke, he's refusing to write checks to uh, self-fund any longer, and Hillary had a war chest of about $40 million bucks. But now, uh, we learned in the last few days, Trump apparently has made a comeback. He raised more than $26 million huh. through online and mail solicitations uh, last month in June, and another $25 million bucks at events with 
the Republican uh, National Committee, uh, and this uh, the hope is that this will put to rest anxieties in the party about his yeah. fundraising uh, prowess. Well, that coupled with Hillary's loss of God knows how much money on the tarmac just uh, a well, the, there there's the tarmac issue. But you know, when you look at the numbers, she's doing pretty well. Yeah, she is. Uh, she has sixty eight and a half million dollars that she collected in June, uh, which included about forty million uh, she raised directly for the campaign. But but the fifty one million for uh, Trump was the biggest monthly take uh, by far for uh, for Trump. Uh, most of it uh, came in the last ten days of the month. Uh, they talked about four hundred thousand supporters making donations. So uh, I, I, it's hard to believe that uh, Trump is going to be too short of money given given all the forces that uh, have an interest in, in in pushing him and seeing if he can get elected. Uh, by the end of June, though, get this: Clinton has raised two hundred eighty eight million dollars for her campaign, and then she had uh, forty four million dollars in the bank. So uh, pretty, uh, it's big money. I mean, basically what they're saying is it, it costs a billion dollars these days. That, you know, I'm just amazed and That's just for that. each side. It costs yeah. a billion bucks for the Democrats and, yeah, and a billion dollars. That's just amazing to me. It, truly, truly remarkable. And who knows how much he saved for bail, so it's got to be even more than that. <laughs> now, I'll turn into the Democrats' side, uh, Bernie Sanders has had some difficulties. Um, he's still talking like a guy who's running for president, but his pals in Congress, uh, he met with some of the House of Representatives Democrats. They actually booed him recently uh, because he's he's just not uh, not walking away uh, uh, from the fight. Uh, let's listen to Bernie Sanders' comments about this. What percentage of Democratic members of the House of Representatives supported me? Uh, a tiny percentage, maybe two or three. That's right. So I walked into a room where 95 percent of the people supported Hillary Clinton. So he's talking about a meeting with the House of Representatives folks. Unfortunately, we don't have the actual audio of of the booze. But uh, the thing is, he still hasn't endorsed Hillary Clinton. He's still dodging questions about when he will. And he stunned some of the Democrats when he met with them, when he told them winning elections isn't the only thing they should focus on. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. They, they wanted to hear about how to beat Donald Trump. And he said, you know, I, I, I'm going to see what we can do about that, but I'm talking about remaking the country. He said, the goal isn't to win elections. The goal is to transform America. So he's talking to a bunch of House Democrats, yeah. and they booed him for that line. Well, they won't be booing him for, for long. I think it's uh, alleged, reported, it may be happening as soon as next week that Hillary and Bernie uh, will be getting together to, uh, on, the, on the campaign trail. So expect Something, some news to happen. Probably uh, Bernie will be endorsing Hillary in the next several days. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. He's probably just bargaining, negotiating, uh, g- getting as much as he can. Some position. In terms, yeah, the platform, mm-hmm. position, whatever. He he was complaining to the House Democrats about the superdelegate process uh, used during the primaries. He said one person starts with 900 delegates before anyone even votes. So he, he's kind of bent out of shape about the whole thing. Now, one problem, Rob Marinko, that Bernie may have when he, when he does sit down yes. with Hillary is he he may call her you know Eleanor Roosevelt <laughs> or, or Madame Curie yeah. now if you think Who I'm knows? being unfair yeah. let's listen to Bernie Sanders right. uh, he's on CNN of course Wolf Blitzer very distinctive name Wolf uh, Wolf Blitzer is questioning Bernie Sanders and and let's pay attention to uh, the difficulty that Bernie has getting Wolf's name straight it's not a game Jake and when we do that Jake you're wolf, gonna have a lot wolf, of enthusiasm wolf, wolf. Wolf, I am sorry. <laughs> I'm looking at the yeah. sign over there. <laughs> no, 
Yeah, uh, do you have confidence right in, uh, in the way Look, Hillary? Jake, all I can tell you is, you know, you're asking me questions. Look, Jake, I don't, you're asking me questions. What do I know? Thank you, Wolf. Appreciate it. Well, at least you got the God, name. there you go. All right. <laughs> Senator, well, thanks. You look a little like Jake. <laughs> no, I don't. How, how can Bernie keep calling him Jake? He called him Jake twice. After he was corrected. Yeah, after he was corrected. That was a, a little bit strange. Uh, the other news on the, uh, the convention front is apparently the Democrats are really planning to make life miserable for the Republicans um, in terms of the convention. The Democrat, basically, the party wants to crash the Republicans' convention. They're calling it the Trumpocalypse. Uh, They want to uh, ridicule his uh, purported spray tan and uh, tiny fingers and dog whistle proclivities. Apparently, a copy of the plan by the Democrats was obtained by the uh, hawker, uh, the hacker, Guccifer 2.0, who breached party servers and made off with DNC financial records. Uh, And apparently, the Democrat Party is spending $800,000, that's Mm $800,000, using 16 staffers uh, to kind of disrupt things. They're going to have a live staged activity uh, with a Jerry Springer live fake show uh, between Trump and Cruz and Kasich. they got to purchase Mexican flags. Let's not forget that. Something like that. Turn over a few police cars. They want to infiltrate friendly union hotels uh, that the Republicans will be patronizing to distribute care packages to those who will be sickened by Trump's nomination. There may be a citywide strike by fast food workers. The uh, Trumpocalypse Survival Kit tote bag uh, has a barf bag, Tylenol, Alka-Seltzer, and a clothespin to hold your nose while voting for Trump. Yeah, so nice. the, the Democrats are planning to have a little fun uh, with the Republican convention. It's 819 here on Talk Radio 790 KABC. We're going to shift gears and uh, welcome to the program uh, Randy Filich, uh, president of Project Coyote, because uh, you may have been reading about uh, the issue of coyotes roaming about our uh, urban streets, and uh, there have been some shootings, and so Randy's going to fill us in on that. Randy, welcome to KBC. How are you? Good morning, Royal. Thank you for um, the opportunity to be on your program. You're quite welcome. Uh, So fill us in on this. I mean, uh, a a lot of uh, folks, uh, even though we're obviously an urban area, we're uh, close up enough uh, next to the mountains where uh, you periodically uh, see coyotes. You know, every once in a while you hear about more dangerous animals than that, uh, bears and mountain lions and so on. Uh, But apparently there was a shooting uh, not far from Griffith Park. What can you tell us about this? Well, you know, we don't condone the shooting of any innocent wildlife, and I think that most Los Angeles residents do not either. They don't believe in animal cruelty. And it happened near Griffith Park, um, actually near the Silver Lake Reservoir. And according to LAPD this morning, it's still an open uh, criminal case. And uh, basically in the 3500 block of Fernwood Avenue, uh, a coyote was shot. And um, I was up there earlier this week walking with, we did a couple TV interviews, and while we were up there, we spoke with residents, and while most residents don't see coyotes up there, a couple that did say they just keep their distance, and they've never uh, had any type of situations, because coyotes are naturally fearful and weary of humans. Well, I guess I have a, a an issue, though. Uh, is there really a problem with shooting coyotes? I mean, if if a lion or a tiger or a bear is wandering around eating your pit bull or your chihuahua, I, I would think you'd have a right to blow them away. Is there some reason why we, a person couldn't also take a pop at a coyote? If or a coyote, child. 
Yeah, exactly. Oh, sure. The I mean, if they're big enough animals, they'll they'll walk off with a toddler or, or a baby. Uh, I mean, so what's the problem with uh, taking a shot at a coyote if a coyote is uh, threatening your 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 family or your pets? Well, first off, um, coyote attacks on humans are extremely rare. And the shooting of this coyote in a residential Los Angeles neighborhood is not only illegal, but it's an act of animal cruelty, and it puts people and other animals in danger. So we do not recommend that anybody takes um, shots at coyotes. I mean, such reckless and dangerous behavior should never be tolerated. We're talking with Randy Filich. She's president of Project Coyote, and it's uh, projectcoyote.org if you'd like to visit it online. Is the idea, Randy, that uh, you should, what, call the Department of Animal Services and and have them come out? But, I mean, it's not like the coyotes are going to sit on the curb and wait to be picked up by the coyote paddy wagon. But but is that what you're suggesting people do? No. Actually, um, we've been working with L.A. City, and two weeks ago I was at Los Angeles City Hall at the Personnel and Animal Welfare Committee, and we're working with L.A. Animal Services and Councilmember Paul Koretz. And what we are putting together is a new coyote management program. And what that would do is it would emphasize public education and effective behavior modifications that will reduce conflicts between people, pets, and coyotes. And that's what I've done in my own city of Calabasas. In 2011, we banned all coyote trapping, and we promote coexistence between education and outreach. And it's worked well in our city and a lot of other cities are emulating this as well. And I guess the problem tends to be a little more serious in the summertime because uh, is it the case that uh, the coyotes are living up in the mountains and things dry out and, uh, and uh, food and water is a little harder to, to obtain and that's what uh, causes them to come down where they normally would be uh, frightened uh, probably by all the, the city sights and sounds? Well, you're correct in that, Royal. I mean, the warmer temperatures and obviously the drought is bringing coyotes down looking f- simply for food and water. And we are right now in the middle of uh, coyote pupping season. May, June, and July is when coyote families are raising their pups, and they are looking for food. And the best thing that you or I or any homeowner can do is not to feed the coyotes, whether they're doing it intentionally or unintentionally. Take down your bird feeder because those those will attack attract rodents and coyotes like rodents so you want to do that you want to remove your uh, pet bowls or feeding bowls outside bring your animals in between dusk and dawn shut your uh, pet doors and really just protect yourself your family just with simple behavior modifications that you can get from our website at projectcoyote.org All right, Randy Filich, thank you for uh, the update on this. Uh, President of Project Coyote, appreciate you sharing your thoughts, and you have a great day. Thank you, Royal, for the opportunity to be here. No problem. 824 The Time here on Talk Radio 790 KABC. By the way, this uh, breaking news on that uh, Minnesota shooting uh, case, the governor of Minnesota is asking the Department of Justice to look into that uh, police shooting. We're going to get you more details on that uh, as they develop. And we welcome your calls. Uh, Lots of breaking news stories. You may well have thoughts. 1-800-222-KABC, 1-800-222-5222. Royal in for Doug. Stay with us. And let's find out from Bill Thomas how the traffic's looking. It's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer.
9.06 the time on a Thursday morning. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Now you can get more news on your commute home. Here the NBC 4 6 o'clock news with Chuck Henry and Carolyn Johnson live on 790 KABC radio. Followed by Peter Tilden's top 6 at 6-ish at 6.30. That's the NBC 4 news at 6 live and the top 6 at 6-ish right after Jillian and John on your drive home on 790 KABC. So we've been monitoring the James Comey hearings in Washington, D.C., and uh, started out with some fireworks, Rob Marenko, right off the bat. Jason Chaffetz, uh, the Republican uh, chair of the committee, uh, didn't hold back. Uh, basically, he, he asked, you know, did Hillary Clinton lie? Are you aware of any uh, lies she told? Well, she didn't, didn't lie to the FBI. But then he got into the issue of whether she lied to Congress under oath uh, in, in various uh, points in her testimony. And uh, the director said, well, uh, you know, I I didn't take that into consideration. And Chaffetz said, well, you know, we're happy to give you a referral. I mean, because the excuse by Comey was you haven't given us a referral from Congress of that testimony. So that apparently is going to be coming. So we'll uh, we'll see how that testimony unfolds. And no doubt the Republicans will seriously consider their next steps with respect to Secretary Clinton. We want to shift gears and uh, get into uh, the big gun debate because uh, Governor Brown signed a whole raft of new gun laws, uh, strengthening gun control. He actually vetoed a couple of them, but uh, we want to get the opinion of Larry Pratt. He's executive director of Gun Owners of America. Larry, welcome to KBC. How are you? I am doing well, and how are you all? Doing great, thank you. Uh, what's your impression of, uh, of the recent reforms? Uh, Governor Brown did uh, sign several bills. Uh, one bill we can talk about in terms of a temporary restraining order, uh, expanding the scope of that he, he vetoed. But what's your impression in general as to uh, the moves that he's been making? Well, the restraining order is uh, uh, something that uh, is very problematic. It it doesn't necessarily operate with any due process, and that's been very concerning because we've seen the same thing here in Congress where they've been dealing with legislation that would keep people from buying a gun because some who knows who, nobody really knows, uh, put somebody on a no no fly list, uh, not sure why, person doesn't probably even know they're there. It was a surprise to Senator Kennedy uh, when he was alive. It took him weeks to get his name off. Now, admittedly, he didn't fly commercial uh, general aviation, but uh, Congressman McClintock in California flies it, and he was on the no-fly list. Right. And it took him weeks to get off. Well, let's back up, and because uh, you raised the restraining order issue in terms of the due process, and uh, just to give the background, everybody will remember this, this nutcase uh, kid uh, uh, from Isla Vista, UC Santa Barbara, uh, posted videos of himself complaining about how you know, these hot blonde women ignored him. Uh, and then he went out and, and shot up a bunch of people, uh, and he ended up dead as well. So one result from that was that we enacted a deal where if law enforcement or family members feel there's some powder keg person who shouldn't have uh, guns, they're entitled to go to the court and say, oh, Your Honor, this guy's half crazy. We think there should be a restraining order. So that's the law in California. And then some folks in Sacramento wanted to expand it to allow teachers and social workers and various other folks, in addition to law enforcement and family members, to have the same right. And the governor vetoed that. Now, it sounds like you have a a more fundamental problem beyond expanding the list. You, You think that there aren't any due process guarantees or insufficient guarantees with the existing law? 
when somebody gets uh, that restraining order against them, uh, then they have to prove themselves innocent. And that is an inversion. That just is complete putting on its head of the American standard of justice. And so we've always had a problem with that. Not that there may not be a need for restraining somebody, but if that's the case, go to court, give him a chance to defend himself, and if he doesn't defend himself uh, to the satisfaction of a judge and or a jury, then put him in jail. A restraining order is not worth anything. Um, it, all it does is maybe say the guy can't have a gun. Well, if he's really a dirtbag intent on harming somebody, th that is simply a joke. And time and again, people under restraining orders have committed crimes uh, that uh, we're not restrained, obviously. We're talking to Larry Pratt, Executive Director of Gun Owners of America. Larry, do you think that some gun advocates, uh, gun rights advocates, refuse to go along with reasonable steps about ammunition or guns or background checks because of what may be a very legitimate fear, namely that the people pushing these possibly reasonable steps have a not-so-hidden agenda of really wanting to just confiscate guns down the road and after they create a database of owners? Well, that's certainly uh, true, I think, with some of those advocates. Uh, but I think we ought to take a step back and evaluate what are the background checks doing. Mm -hmm. Well, in a year in which there were 18 million, there were 14 prosecutions. Now, that suggests to me that the background check is totally 100, well, 99.99% worthless. And for us to rely upon a background check to keep us safe is simply um, not working. That is an astounding statistic. I mean, 14 prosecutions out of 18 million checks? Exactly. Uh, it, it, this is uh, something that uh, just isn't... Sometimes a prosecutor thinks it's not worth pursuing because maybe the guy was in a bar fight in the Marines uh, 30 years ago, and what might have even not been a disqualifying offense at the time has subsequently become one as laws have changed and all of a sudden that individual gets bitten uh, by that process hardly a due process uh, so we think that if somebody needs to be kept from getting a gun he needs to be in jail you need to go to court you need to give him all his due process uh, this idea that we can just wave a magic wand and have even if it's um, uh, an officer of the court, let alone a teacher or a social worker, said, well, I think Jimmy Jones is a pretty bad egg. Maybe we ought to keep him from uh, getting a, a gun. Well, that's that's an opinion. Proven court. Mm -hmm. File charges. How do gun rights advocates answer the idea that I think is resonating with the public, that some weapons, doggone it, they're just made for one thing, and that's killing as many human beings as possible, as fast as possible, and so we should just ban those things, given all the shootings in, in recent years. What, what is the response to that argument? Well, I think if people have a chance to actually hear about the guns that they're being told are so inappropriate, uh, they would find that, uh, in fact, uh, these are guns that are used in hunting, perhaps much more importantly, they're uh, not infrequently used in self-defense. It was guns uh, of the type of the AR-15 that the Korean merchants used to uh, keep their properties intact from the rioters 
in Los Angeles several years ago. Uh, the idea that somehow we only need X number of rounds to defend ourselves and we only need a certain kind of firearm to defend ourselves, that's okay for people that are living in a bubble, uh, probably protected by paid security, maybe the state police at the state capitol, uh, but it's certainly not the reality that a lot of people have to live in. You know, a lot of people, I think, um, just don't like guns, and they, they just wish the Second Amendment would go away. The L.A. Times years ago editorialized and said that really guns should only be in the hands of soldiers and, and law enforcement, and that's the utopian future we're headed toward. We hear about uh, Obama in an unguarded moment. He didn't know he was being taped talking about people clinging to their guns and their religion. And then Hillary Clinton recently was, I think she was interviewed um, on CNN, and they asked her, do you think that the Second Amendment guarantees the right to own uh, guns, and she hesitated, and she <laughs> waffled, and I, I, to me, I think she's very vulnerable. I, I'd be surprised she, if the Republicans don't use that in uh, commercials. The, the hesitation would probably be what they call a pregnant pause, but uh, she also, uh, if that wasn't the same occasion on another, uh, mentioned that she thought the Australians got it right and that we ought to use their gun control as a model. Well, the Australians confiscated a boatload of guns and it wouldn't be hard for anybody to find on the internet pictures of mountains of guns piled up that had been confiscated in Australia. Uh, if that's what she thinks is the way we ought to be going, um, I'd only remind her that George III had somewhat the same notion. <laughs> You know, uh, the uh, the Ferguson effect is something people have been uh, talking about and writing about. Uh, and we're talking again with uh, Larry Pratt, executive director for Gun Owners of America. Do you see that in terms of there being such a uh, uh, a backlash uh, against police officers that they're just uh, they're not doing their job, and as a result, Chicago and other major cities are, are basically just turning into shooting galleries because the bad guys know that the cops are basically withdrawing from the field. I think there may be something to that, that the cops have been uh, told that uh, if um, somebody uh, Monday morning quarterbacking you finds that you did something wrong, you're going to be in a heap of hurt, and it's going to cost you a lot of money uh, to defend yourself. On the other hand, when are we going to hold the politicians accountable who set up these shooting galleries? When are we going to hold them accountable for making it illegal to defend yourself in the Aurora Theater, where it was posted, no guns. In the club in Orlando, where nobody except the armed guard that was overcome immediately by the dirtbag, um, and he was able to get in, nobody had a gun. In Virginia, for example, if you're at a place where they serve alcohol, you can carry your concealed firearm, you just can't drink. Well, you know, that's not a terrible sacrifice. Some people think their life is worth more than a beer. Larry, let, let me ask some Rob Marinko here. I'm a, I'm a big uh, proponent, a big advocate of the uh, Second Amendment. And and I would would wish that your organization and others that are pro-Second Amendment would point people to FBI statistics. So liberals love to quote statistics and science and that sort of thing. Because long guns rifles are responsible for the fewest firearm deaths out of all the other types of weapons used. Sure. It's in the hundreds per year. And people think, oh, you know, tens of thousands of people are killed with assault rifles. It's just not true. There's no evidence to su support that. And so when people talk about rifles and long guns and so-called assault weapons, 
they're just it's not a significant number they can focus on a lot of you know medical malpractice deaths in hospitals there's a lot of things that kill people and uh, these long guns aren't aren't one of them in any great number that is quite correct and firearms of all kinds are used uh, probably two and a half million times a year by average Americans to defend, defend themselves, themselves against right. criminal attack. Uh, and that's something that uh, repeatedly has been uh, found by work that's done uh, by the Bureau of uh, Criminal Statistics, by the FBI, by the Center for Disease Control. Uh, so uh, this is not a, a new uh, data point. Uh, the fact is Americans use guns a lot, and they use all kinds of guns to tell bad guys, get out of here. All right, Larry Pratt, Executive Director of Gun Owners of America. Appreciate you uh, sharing part of your day with us, and the website is gunowners.org. You have a terrific day. And you too. Thanks so much for having me with you. Thanks a lot. 919 The Time, Talk Radio 790-KABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre this week. So, Rob Marinko, uh, Bernie Sanders refuses to go away. Um, He's been meeting (laughs) with the House of Representatives, uh, folks, uh, Democrats, who, who are gently urging him to uh, go quietly into that good night, but uh, he's not doing it. I think he's saying he's probably going to vote for her, but he refuses to come out with a formal endorsement. I think Larry David is asking Bernie to stick around. I'm telling you, yeah. Lar- Larry David does an amazing something. Bernie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love seeing him on, on Saturday Night Live. Uh, Bernie Sanders was on MSNBC recently talking about how he eh, had a little bit of a confrontation uh, with the folks in the House of Representatives uh, This is what he said. What percentage of Democratic members of the House of Representatives supported me? Uh, A tiny percentage, maybe two or three. That's right. So I walked into a room where 95% of the people supported Hillary Clinton. So he was was a little bitter. Now, Bernie also walked into another room recently, and that was the the stage of uh, CNN when he uh, sat down with uh, Wolf Blitzer. And uh, not not to dump on on Bernie for having a senior moment, but I mean, you know, he he was hoping to be president. A lot, a lot, millions and millions of people want him to be president but um you know shouldn't you shouldn't you have the ability to get somebody's name right let's listen to bernie's encounter with wolf a distinctive name wolf blitzer this is not a game jake and when we do that jake you're gonna have a lot of enthusiasm wolf wolf Wolf, i am sorry (laughs) i'm looking at the sign over there Uh, do you have confidence right. in, uh, in the way Look, Hillary... Jake, all I can tell you is, you know, you're asking me questions. Look, Jake, I don't, you're asking me questions. What do I know? I'm Thank you, Wolf. Appreciate it. Well, at least you got the... God, there you go. All right. <laughs> Senator, well, thanks. you look a little like Jake. <laughs> right. Bernie was really distracted by the Jake concept there. Imagine a meeting with Vladimir Putin if Bernie became president. Uh, come on, Bob. Let's yeah. talk about the Ukraine. Come yeah. on, Bob. <laughs> or or <laughs> call, perhaps uh, call him Carl or uh, Stalin, something like that. Yeah, exactly. So flipping over the other side... The House, the Republicans are—they're making a comeback here. Donald Trump, everybody was writing him off because they said, you know, the campaign's broke and so on. He had, you know, literally like a million dollars in the bank compared to Hillary's. Well, now we're told that uh, Trump actually has beaten expectations and he raised fifty-one million dollars uh, from uh, GOP donors in June. So he's kind of, kind of back in action, and uh, he's uh, sort of teasing people with the uh, question of who his vice president might be. Uh, this is uh, Donald. Donald Trump uh, talking about the possibility of uh, the Newtster as VP. Newt has been my friend for a long time. And I'm not saying anything, and I'm not telling even Newt anything, but I can tell you, in one form or another, Newt Gingrich is going to be involved with our government. That I can tell you. He's smart. He's tough. He gets it. 
And he says, I'm the biggest thing he's ever seen in the history of politics. And I... Which is obviously a major factor for, for Donald Trump. Uh, and, you know, you think, well, okay, does that really mean he's seriously considering uh, Newt Gingrich? But he's sort of getting down to the details because he's uh, talking about how Newt would do in a vice presidential debate. Here's Donald. I'll tell you one thing, folks. I'm not saying it's Newt. But if it's Newt, nobody's going to be beating him in those debates, that's for sure. And Newt Gingrich, uh, he's kind of playing hard to get, uh, Rob Marinko. He says, well, I have a very simple test question. If it's about funerals, I'm not interested. But, you know, I have a feeling he'd be very interested because Newt Gingrich would look at this situation and he'd say... Trump is going to be flying around in his Air Force One plane. They'll probably now have a big Trump emblazoned on it. Uh, (laughs) But he's not going to know how to run the government. Yeah, exactly. He is not going to know how to be commander in chief. How to be Trump's brain. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the same kind of situation that we saw with Karl Rove and Dick Cheney with George W. Bush. So uh, it's going to be fascinating. I think it would be colossally stupid because let's face it. Donald Trump has to run the table. He cannot win unless he wins the swing states of Florida, Ohio, and Virginia. So why don't you pick one person from one of those three states to at least at least take care, very likely, of that state? So uh, who knows what he's really thinking. He may just be doing this for show. It's 924 here on Talk Radio 790 KBC. We are continuing to monitor the testimony by Director James Comey of the FBI, who is being grilled by Republicans and being handed some fairly friendly questions by Democrats back in Washington, D.C. Uh, we'll keep you updated on the developments there. And now Bill Thomas is going to help us out with the traffic. 